This is Curious Minnesota, a Star Tribune project that sends staff from the state's largest newsroom hunting for the answers to great questions we receive from you, our readers. We're here to answer everything you want to know about the state's people, places, and culture. Welcome to Curious Minnesota. I'm your host, Hannah Sale. Today's show is about two of the largest disasters in Minnesota history, massive wildfires that ripped through northern Minnesota, killing hundreds and reducing entire towns to smoldering ashes. Reader Tim Larson out of Duluth wondered if the devastation from a century ago could happen again in Minnesota. Let's hear from Tim. My name is Tim Larson. I've been a longtime teacher, recently retired in northern Minnesota. I volunteered years ago to do a native plant survey in some of the old growth forests on Duluth's west hillside, and I heard the forests were spared partly by the efforts of Duluth residents who created an emergency fire line on the hills above Duluth. I read Kurt Brown's excellent book, 1918, When Flu, Fire, and War ravaged Minnesota. And I read it just before the pandemic hit. And I thought, well, we have the pandemic, good fire hit again. And we had some of the wildfires in the woods north of town. And I know conditions are different now, but I I was thinking, well, could fire hit more of the populated areas again? We're talking today with Star Tribune Duluth reporter Jana Hollingsworth, who wrote this story for us, prompted by Larson's question. Welcome, Jana. So we're actually we're actually talking about two distinct fires that took place more than 20 years apart. Tell us a little bit more about where and when these fires happened. So the Hinckley Fire began in 1894 and the Moose Lake Fire. It was also Cloquet. There were a couple of separate fires that converged. Um, That began in 1918 and together they burned 2,000 square miles and about 900 people died between the two fires. And they both started because of extremely hot weather not a whole lot of rain. They both were experiencing drought conditions that were very similar to what we saw this summer. And they were very devastating to much of northern Minnesota. Yeah. And in your article, which we will link in the show notes, there's a a really helpful map that gives readers a sense of the scope of the 1894 Hinckley fire, the 1918 fires, and then also the 2021 Greenwood fire. So people can get a sense of not only where these fires took place, but also just how much of the state was affected by them. And they were truly devastating. As you said, hundreds of people died. What was the impact on northern Minnesota? Like, how can we give readers a sense of the scope of these fires? Well, both fires took out entire towns, not so much in Duluth. The Moose Lake Fire did reach Duluth, but it was mostly in the outer regions. But lots of little towns along the way were wiped out. Hinkley was absolutely decimated. It just never looked the same again after that. Moose Lake as well saw lots of devastation, and so did the city of Cloquet. They were completely burned to the ground. Not much was left standing Tim Larson, our question asker, mentioned that he had been reading Kurt Brown's book, Minnesota 1918, When Flu, Fire, and War Ravaged the State. And that actually prompted this question of whether or not these fires could happen in Minnesota again. One of the things that really struck me in Kurt Brown's book is the really harrowing stories of people trying to escape these fires. Why weren't people able to escape? I think in both cases, they didn't have warning systems. You know, they were traveling news by train, and sometimes the fire was outrunning the train. We had no social media back then, no cell phones. There was just really no way to warn people that a fire was coming. And that's coupled with the fact that these fires moved extremely fast. 
I think I read in, in one case, one of the fires was clocked at like 60 miles per hour. People couldn't keep up. A lot of people died trying to outrun fires in cars when they couldn't see through the smoke and the road and they would you know, drive into a ravine. The fires were just so powerful. In your article, you mentioned that at least 453 people were killed in the 1918 fires as they tried to flee on foot, horse and buggy, train or car. It's hard to imagine trying to flee on foot or horse and buggy from a fire that's moving at, you know, 60, 65 miles per hour. One of the other really tough to read passages in Kurt Brown's book is about families that tried to take shelter in root cellars, which is it's where they stored their vegetables for the winter. And they actually wound up, many of them, burning to death or dying of smoke inhalation. I mean, it's this truly, truly awful scenario. You mentioned before that the stage was set for these fires in terms of the weather. It was dry. It was late summer, early fall, where the temperatures were still high enough. But there were some other reasons why these parts of northern Minnesota were primed for wildfires. So tell us a little bit more about the circumstances that made these fires more likely to happen in Minnesota. During the logging boom, slash was left out in the woods. And that is tinder. It's the tops and the limbs and the branches of trees that are just left on the forest floor. They're not cleaned up. They're very flammable and they dry out. And, you know, it's very easy for fire to spread through that quickly. And also trees weren't replanted. They didn't have forest management practices then like we do now, where when you harvest lumber, you replant it. And so there's just all of this essentially junk on the on the forest floor. And that it just makes it very easy for fire to spread. Yeah. And, and logging was a huge industry in Minnesota at the time. In both periods of time. I mean, that whole era was a major logging boom in Minnesota. This is how some of the great cities like Chicago were built. It was through timber that was harvested up in this region. But things have changed since then to make this less likely to happen in the future. I mean, logging practices have changed, one would assume. Yep. They no longer leave slash. They take that part of the tree and they're also replanting trees. That will not be something that would start a major wildfire anymore. Now the concern is, you know, what we saw this summer with the Greenwood fire was drought and things like spruce budworm and emerald ash borer, things that killed trees and then leave them as, you know, ready tinder if, if lightning strikes or if somebody starts a fire by throwing a cigarette out. It's still, you know, possible to have wildfire, obviously, but because of forest management practices changing, it couldn't start the way that it did back in 1894 and 1918. Something else is more likely to be responsible for fires than lightning. What's that? People. We are. That's why there was a ban in the Superior National Forest this summer for campfires. 98% of fires in Minnesota are caused by humans, and lightning is only to blame for 2%. So what are some of the things that we do so that we aren't contributing to these kinds of fires in Minnesota? When you are camping and you have a fire, make sure that it's completely out before you leave in your own home, you know, on your property, you can make sure that your grass is cut and watered and that there's no brush or anything close to your house that could catch fire at least 30 feet from a structure. The state does have a program to help called FireWise. Somebody can come out and look at your property and help you figure out what needs to be removed. And there are also great, great resources within that program to, 
to figure out how to do that. And just to put Tim's mind at ease, there are some other reasons why this kind of fire would be less likely to happen now that have to do with our own response when a fire happens. Tell us more about that. So fire towers and lookouts, they still exist, but now we have aircraft, satellites, cell phones, planes that can dump massive amounts of water on fires very quickly, things that just didn't exist in 1918 or 1894. We have the weather service that monitors wind speed, and also there is a greater fire response. You have national, state, and local groups that work together to put out fires. You can call in resources from Montana, And that's what happened with the Greenwood fire. They had crews that came from around the country to help put it out. It's just this large interagency effect that we didn't have before that makes it easier to put out giant fires like what we see in California. And we also have advanced warning systems, not to mention social media. So maybe your Twitter and Facebook accounts are good for something after all. Jana, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today and sharing this information for those of us who are wondering if this kind of wildfire could happen again in Minnesota. Really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks. Thank you, Hannah. I appreciate you having me. All right, that's it for today's show. I will leave a link in the show notes to Jana's story, which has more details and some photos that document the extensive damage caused by the 1894 and 1918 blazes in Minnesota. We'd love to hear your feedback about this podcast or any questions you'd like to see us tackle here at Curious Minnesota. So send us a note at curious at startribune.com. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Curious Minnesota. We want to hear from you. Ask questions and read more stories online at startribune.com backslash curious. Our show is recorded at the Star Tribune's headquarters in beautiful downtown Minneapolis. And our music is produced by Matt Gilmer. If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes or leave a review. And until next time, stay curious.